anthem, the next to last song, I guess the second to last song you did, that was kind of a banger, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? Did y'all like that? I liked that, and I thought that was fun. I think, I think you call it, the guitars, you call that banger, right? That's a banger. Okay, there you go. So, all right, we could just, I think we're dismissed. I think we're good. I think I've so said good. all I need to say. No, good morning. My name's Tyler. I'm one of the pastors here. They're glad that you were with us if you're visiting for the first time. Uh, glad that you're with us on the Thanksgiving weekend. Who had a great Thanksgiving weekend? Yeah, who ate too much? Who was asleep by 3 o'clock? That's the, the most important question, right? One person clap. Willie clap. No, that's good. Yeah, no, we had a good one. Actually, it was um, mostly, um, you know how Thanksgivings are always combustible and like things happen, right? You know, so actually we were pretty problem-free at, at our location. I hope you had the same as well. Uh, and part of like what I love Thanksgiving more so than Christmas in a lot of ways, because it's just, you know, it's just time to pause as a people and as a country and to say, uh, hey, we're thankful for what we've been given. We're thankful for what we have. And, you know, and, but here's the thing too, right? The other thing is, is pretty quickly, as you know, how things work in, in this world and in this country, you start getting the, the pre-emails on the pre-Black Friday sales, right? Because I love it. You've got one moment for, for Thanksgiving and thankfulness, and then you try to figure out what is it that I need? What do I want? How can I pay for it? How can I not, you know, afford, you know, can I afford all the things that we need to do? And, and so it's always, for me, it's this contrast of like, we're hanging out. My family like to hang on the couch in the morning and watch the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, like we always wait to see Snoopy, you know, like that's our thing, and then the kids watch the dog show, which I get up and leave, because I'm like, I'm good, I don't want to see dogs running around, my dog won't even run around the backyard, let alone on TV, right, so I just, I always imagine my dog like causing chaos on national TV, which is kind of how I think of it, but I get up and leave, and then all of a sudden, you know, the emails start coming, right, and they say, hey, you've got to be in line at this, or you know, there's this coming, and there's all that, and so when I think about just us entering Advent, as we were waiting, eagerly celebrating the awaiting of Jesus' birth, uh, I thought it would be a great way to start with what does thankfulness and contentment look like? What does thankfulness and contentment look like? By the way, if you want extra study, you could do this. There's the study guide on the way out. You could grab that if you want to do a deeper dive. Also, I think Travis talked about it, but we are doing a, a, a gift card and a stuffed animal drive for uh, foster kids for this family uh, for this Christmas and foster families, so you could grab one of those as well. love for you to participate in that as we try to be a blessing as we finish up. Also, thank you so much for those who are giving, and of course, we have the year in deficit and all the things, and so we'll keep that in front of you as well. But I say that all to say is this morning we're going to look at two lenses to view thankfulness and contentment through and three truths, right? Two lenses that I think we all get stuck in and then three truths. And, and so for me, like as I said a second ago, the contrast of the reality, how that idyllic Thanksgiving morning reality is as rainy as it was, as foggy as it was, right? You still have this, like, this is how it's supposed to be. All, everyone gathered together, loving each other well, including our Uncle John, who's crazy, right, at the Thanksgiving table. Um, and then that gets shattered. And so for me, that the saying that perception drives reality is a good one, right? Because on one hand, we've got this, I feel like we're supposed to be doing this, but then there's these other things kind of clawing at our attention, and even though we know reality is sometimes different than our perception, sometimes it is exactly what it is, right? That's why we get the saying. And so the perception of thankfulness and contentment from a worldly standpoint is this. These are the two lenses. One, I don't have enough, right? That's Black Friday emails right there. I don't have enough. And then the other side of the email as well, the second lens is I need more. 
I don't have enough and I need more. That's kind of the regular, I think, worldly way of looking at what thankfulness and contentment is. Is hey, I'm good with what I've got, but I don't I need something, but I'm good with what I got and I also need more. And I think for me, if you're like me, like I vacillate somewhere between like oh, that sounds really good. I could really use that. And on the other hand, I feel a little shameful about that perspective, right? Because we are consumers in some ways. But the reality of these two lenses is that it encompasses on both ends a poverty mindset. A poverty mindset is, one, I don't have enough and there is more to be gotten, right? That's a poverty mindset. So I'm willing to bet that if we have that, or if you struggle with that, I'm a bit of a shopper. Amazon's hard, right? Because it sits right there, and stuff sits in my shopping cart all the time, and I'm like, I don't need it. Save it for later. Save it. Who's a save it for later person, right? Anybody that way? I do that, right? I'm like, oh, I really like that, but let me just save it for later. But the funny thing is, is if I have a poverty mindset, if I look at finances and what we have and what we don't have with a, I don't have enough and I need more, which is a reality, Right? I'm willing to bet that that poverty mindset also shows up in other ways in my life. Maybe it's in my relationship or in my marriage or how I parent my kids or how I interact with friends, right? But it's always usually there, and it's so subtle, right? But lens one, what provision we already have is not enough. And not enough is a powerful motivator, agreed, right? If you've taken steps anywhere in your career or in school, right? There's nothing wrong with making money and leveraging your expertise, right? I always love the, the, the Batman movie, The Dark Knight, right? That's one of my favorites, which I know is not really fitting in a thankfulness and contentment, but he says something that I think is really true and really powerful. He says what? He goes, if you're good at something, never ever do it for what? For free. That's what he says. Never do it for free. And that's okay, right? That is okay with leveraging your expertise, right? So if you've ever changed a job, or relocated, or gone back to school, you make good grades, that's okay. But on the other hand, if you only look at thankfulness and contentment with, I don't have enough, it also warps the way you look at the world. It warps our way of looking at the world, because you look at everything with, not enough, with a not enough mindset, like relationships, right? Also, it could cause us to fall into the performance trap. My worth, my worth as a person, as a created, as a human, as created by God, is intimately tied to how I do and how much money I have, right? You ever feel that way? Like as guys, I know we struggle with that, especially like if I'm a fixer and I want to fix things, but there's nothing I can do. Oftentimes I've come to the, the idea of I can't do anything about what I'm doing or I can't do anything to fix the problem in front of me. I just got to walk my family through this thing or someone through this thing, but there's nothing I could really do that picks at, you know, it picks at the identity of, oh, yeah, I'm supposed to be this person who makes things better, but I can't do anything about it. I can't make it better, right? So falling into that performance trap or provider or how much money I have takes away our true identity in God, right? It takes away our true identity. It's just being created by a creator for a purpose and for a reason, and then the other side of that, as I say a second ago, is we should be happy with what we have. Like, I, don't I have enough? Like, how many Tennessee hats do I need, right? Like, I mean, I have enough, right? Ten wins is enough. You know, I wish we would have gotten that 11th win, but we didn't, unfortunately, last week. Had a lot not to be thankful for in that regard, but shouldn't I be happy? Shouldn't we be happy with what I have? But I'm not happy, so then we feel shame or anxiety. Shame or anxiety because we don't have enough. You ever feel that way? You ever fall into that trap? 
Our identity from God is that we are created by Creator for a purpose, as I said, not marked by shame or anxiety. Not marked by shame or anxiety. Lens two, so that's lens one, not enough. What we already have is not enough. And then lens two, the second lens, is what provision we want or we think we need, right? Money seems to be an easy worldly measurement of success, right? It's a number. We could we ascribe value to that number. There's usually not, you know, we want more than the number that we have, right? You're all probably thinking about the number in your bank account or your checking account or on your credit card, right? Because it's Christmas season, you got to pay that thing off. It's an easily worldly measurement, just like measuring attendance, right? I mean, like we do that. We measure a bunch of other things besides that, but it's an easy number. It's the, often the quickest number to say, where are we and how are we doing? But the Bible, as you can imagine, has a lot to say about money, and then it does so in Proverbs. It does so in Proverbs. And so we're going to be jumping around in Proverbs this morning. But when we think about the money that we think we need or the things that we think we need, in, in in relation to thankfulness and contentment, I want to read this over you. Proverbs 23, verses 4 and 5. It'll be on the board behind you. But it says this, do not toil, so do not work. That's what that means, right? Do not work to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. Okay, that means stop. So do not work to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to stop. Verse 5 says, when your eyes light on it, talking about wealth. This is funny. It is gone, for suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward the heaven, right? So to paraphrase in everyday language, don't put your money or don't put your focus too much on money because it's here today and it's gone tomorrow, right? And we've gone through those seasons where I have, our family has, where it's like, hey, like we're barely scraping by and it's like, oh my gosh, where did all this come from? And then you all of a sudden move back into another season, right? And it's gone. Sometimes that's good decisions, sometimes that's not good decisions. It's good to budget and live by it, by the way, right? Instead of we just hope and cross our fingers that we'll be okay when it comes to bills. But isn't that funny? Like, and this is, by the way, if you're not familiar with Proverbs, it's written by Solomon. He was the wealthiest guy on the planet, had all the things. He's often considered, the Bible describes him as the, the most wise person on the planet. So you've got wisdom and money and all the things in between that. And this is the guy that has it all. And for some reason, he decides to write down as this is some miraculous saying that, hey, if you're working just to acquire money, you shouldn't. Because it'll sprout wings and it'll fly away. And it usually flies away. It never flies too. Right? Isn't that funny? But that's the thing. Solomon, the wisest person on the planet, the king who had the best Christmas toys said our working should be not for the acquirement of wealth, it should be for something else, because even he knows who holds all the toys, right? He's got all the toys. Money is fleeting. Money is fleeting. So when we ascribe our life to, because it's an easy measurement, right? Like here's our bank account number, here's the number we have, or here's our goal one day, and if that determines my self-worth as a person before a, a holy God, then I'm actually missing the point, right? We're actually missing the point. What Solomon is actually saying further on, further down in Proverbs is actually how you live and what kind of relationships we have is what makes us wealthy. Now, interesting, isn't it, that a guy who has all the wealth in the world would say, actually, what makes you rich is how you work your relationships. You know, with Uncle John, who's crazy at Thanksgiving, right? 
That's what makes you wealthy. Because when we don't think we have enough, instead of yearning to be more like Jesus, which is, I think, our goal and our reason why we're here, which is the everlasting value, we yearn for the fleeting pleasure of money because there will always be more. And you know what I'm talking about. It's that thing you've set in your Amazon shopping cart, and you're like, I'll save it for later, and I'll save it for later, and I'll save it for later, and then finally it shows up. And you're like, oh, this is great. I can't wait. I'm so excited about this. And then there's something else that will take its place on the throne of your heart six months down the road, right? When I was a kid, um, who loves G.I. Joes, by the way? Anybody love G.I. Joes growing up? I love G.I. Joes. My parents, I don't think I've said this before, my parents, like, manned up one Christmas and they got me the aircraft carrier. Do you remember the aircraft carrier? I I could not walk in my room because this seven-foot thing of fun sat in my floor, and, I, and instantly I had all the street cred I wanted on my street, right? Like, everybody wanted to come to my house because I had this awesome thing. I can't even tell you where it is. I have no idea. It's in pieces somewhere in a box in Tennessee, and it's probably in the trash, which, by the way, if you look up how much those things are worth, talk about money flying away on wings, right? Because it's worth something because they don't make them anymore. But that's the truth right? It's the relationships. It's how we live our lives. It's how we love each other around us is what makes us wealthy. Thankfulness and contentment should flow through that perspective, not whatever number it is that we have in our heads or in our bank account. Okay, so those are the two lenses. We got that? So I want to give you three truths to actually help us, I think, walk through this season. Truth number one, God as provider is Jehovah Jireh. God as provider as Jehovah Jireh. So Jehovah is God's name in Hebrew. It actually is Yahweh, but there you go. But also God's got other names. He has other names, right? Jireh being one, and literally that name means provider. It means provider. God as provider. So and when that name gets added, when that name gets added, it emphasizes a part of God's character. So we've got God, whoever you think God is, what the Bible says about God is he is above all things and from all things flow from him and he is perfect, right? But when they throw a name on the back end of his name, you know, it's not like Tyler, which is my middle name. I'm not telling you my first name. You'll have to guess, but you will never guess it. But there you go, right? This is different. It actually flows out of his character. It flows out of his character, right? The the name emphasizes a part of his character. And so God and his godly character are more than character traits on display. So don't miss this, right? Like, I'm funny, right? That's part of my... No, I'm kidding. Right, but that's part of my character. There you go. Just make sure you're awake. But God's traits actually reflect his personhood and embody his essence. They're not just something that some, oh, that guy or that person, they're nice, or they're, they're nice to be around, or they're funny, or they're mean, or they're rude, right? Like those things. Like actually when God's name, when a name gets attached to God's name, it embodies his personhood and his essence. Meaning when God is described by a trait, it is not as something that he just does, right? It is something that he is. See the difference? Tyler's nice, or Tyler's funny, or dumb, or whatever. That's what I am. That's who, what I do, but that's not who I am. But with God, when you attach the name, it's not just what he does. It is who he is, meaning that he can't not but be that. So when you think about provider, God is a provider. 
right? And he doesn't practice generosity. His provision flows out of his divine essence and who he is. He's not just generous. He has to be that. All right? For God to not be a provider would go against his very nature, right? His very nature. And here's the thing. This means if God would decided to go against his nature, this means he would no longer be God because God being perfect in every way possible, having the highest forms of all the things, his love, his mercy, his grace, his provision, his justice, his wrath, all the things for him not to do that would mean he would violate who he is, which means he would cease being God. You know that thing how we all, that thing whatever we all walk with that we're like, hey, I really want to do this, and then we don't always quite get there. God can't do that because he wouldn't be God anymore. God can't do that. And so it's important for us to understand who he is. By the way, one of the values here at Crossroads is not just because it's easy just to focus on doing what God's called us to do. I realize we just had a couple of calls here about supporting foster kids, but it's also important, just as important for us to focus on being who God has asked us to be, not just doing what God has asked us to do. Because it's easy work to just check boxes and do what God's asked us to do. It's a lot harder to be who God's asked us to be. Agree? Right? This is where this comes from. Because we know that for God to be anything other than generous and as a provider would go against his nature. You and I have been redeemed and created created with a nature that Jesus redeemed for us to be who God wants us to be. Not just do what God wants us to do. But I think it's easy for us to focus on the other part. It's harder to be who God's asked us to be. It's a great Thanksgiving message, by the way, right? Yeah. So you're like, okay, so I understand who God and his provider is. Point me to a story about God being provider. And so there's no better story in the Old Testament than Genesis 22, right? So if you're familiar with, with the story, there's this guy named Abraham who God called into the, you know, to follow him and to go into a far country with his wife. God told him to pick up and move, leave his family. I'll give you a new family. I'm going to give you a son, which Abraham and Sarah have been waiting on forever. And when I mean forever, like forever, right? Forever. And then God does uh, provide a son. Sarah's really old. She has a son anyway. I know your women are like, oh my goodness, that sounds horrible. I'm sure it was. And then ask Abraham to give him up as a sacrifice because what God is asking Abraham is, is here, I've promised you this thing. I'm going to provide this thing for you. Do you love the thing I gave you more than you love me? Because when I think about my own walk, there's the rub, right? I love the stuff that God gives me, but do I really love God more than what he gives? Like he's some kind of gigantic Pez dispenser. So this is what happens. Here's the scene. Genesis 22 Verses 1 through 14. I just want to read this over this. After these things, God tested. So there you go. God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, here I am, which seems appropriate. He said, take your son, your only son, Isaac. That's the one that God promised whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Okay, that's a little weird. You gave me this thing just to ask me to give it back to you. Okay, okay. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, 
On the third day, this is interesting, isn't it? On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. Verse 6, and Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, which must be frightening. And he took his hand and took in his hand the fire and the knife. And so they both went both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father... And he said, here I am, my son, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. So Isaac knows that they usually offer a spotless lamb, a perfect animal, as a sign of worship to God. And so Abraham's saying, oh, actually, you know, God's told Abraham, hey, actually, it's going to be Isaac. And, God's, and Abraham's like, okay. In verse 9, he says, When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar, altar excuse me, there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And then Abraham reached out his hand, took the knife, the slaughter of his son, but the angel of the Lord, love this, just this intervention on the third day, by the way, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, and he said, Here am I. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now, I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your son, your only son for me. And when Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place. Here you go. The Lord will provide. Literally, that place is called Jireh, flowing out of the essence and character of who God is. And it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord, it shall be provided. This is where this name comes from. He asked his servant, Abraham, to, to sacrifice his most important asset. Not a bank account. The thing, the promise that he's been waiting for. And God miraculously decided to provide something else in that moment. I love that. Abraham was freed. So here's the thing. Don't miss this. While Isaac was tied, Abraham was freed. Do you know why? Because he no longer lived according to what God had promised. He lived according to what God asked him to do. See the difference in thankfulness and contentment? God, I really want you to do this thing. No, actually, God, I want to worship you whether you do that thing or not. That's called freedom. Right? And he was free because he held God in higher esteem than his beloved son. Now talk about Isaac resisting, or excuse me, Abraham resisting being a helicopter parent. Okay, I'm a helicopter parent. I would never, ever, ever, ever do that. But for some reason, Abraham did. And I love verse 18. It's not, in, it's not going to be, on, it might be on the board, but as, as a result of all this, this is what is said about verse 18. So Abraham said yes to God. And God provided a way, and then he says this. This is God saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. All the nations will be blessed, because you decided to not you decided to give up everything for me, and now I will give up everything through you, so that everyone else could be blessed by you. That's thankfulness and contentment. 
That's what it gets you. When we understand who God is as provider. That that thing you're, holding, you're waiting on, that thing you wish you had, the thing you wish you didn't have. Right? All the emails crowded in your inbox about Black Friday that shatters the idyllicness of Thanksgiving morning. God as provider will provide a way. And I love it. It says, I will bless you to bless others. That is the picture of the kingdom at work in everyday lives. I will bless you. We are blessed so that we can bless others. But you remember, the lens is, is I don't have enough and I need more. It says, actually, don't worry about blessing others. Worry about getting for what you want. Truth number two. We following? We doing okay? Okay, truth number two. Truth number one is understanding God as provider. Truth number two is we give of what we do have for generosity's sake. That's why we're doing the, the, the little gift card and the stuffed animal drive because we've got kids who are living with families who aren't their birth families because they need someone to come in and intervene on their behalf. And we want to intervene on their behalf to let them know that they are seen, they are known, and that they are valued because it is a thankless job to be a foster parent sometimes. We give of what we do for generosity's sake. Proverbs 3.9 so back to Proverbs. Get there. That's Psalms. That's probably not going to do it. Proverbs 3, 9. So we give for generosity's sake. 3, 9, and 10. Chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. Then your barns will be filled with plenty and your vats will be bursting with wine. Okay, so this is the classic passage that says, if you give, God will give more, which is true, unless sometimes he doesn't. Because I would imagine Abraham, with giving up his son Isaac, had, was thinking, God's not going to come through. God's not really giving right now. So don't fall into the trap of, if I do this, God will do this. He will, because he is his essence. But sometimes what he doesn't give is actually better than what you think he should give. Okay? So don't miss that. They call that the prosperity gospel. That's not what this is, right? We can't outgive God, by the way, but he invites us in relationship to give anyway. Generosity is a blessing from God leading to a blessed life, but not just for us. We do for the welfare of the city and we do others, right? It's for the welfare of the city and others. Proverbs 11.11 11 says this. I really like this verse. I hope you do too. Write this down and think about what this means, right? By the blessing of, an, of the upright, a city is exalted. By the mouth of the wicked, it is overthrown. By the blessing of the upright, the city is exalted, right? If you know God, we should be a blessing to the city and those around us, period. We should be a blessing of the city around us, period. We can't outgive God, but he asks us in relationship to give anyway. Isn't that amazing? So talk about battling the, hey, I don't have enough and I want more. And then God comes right in and says, you know what? Actually, what you should do is give. You want to get more? You give because it's a blessing to give. It's also a blessing to what? Receive. So if you're on the other side of that and you need something and someone's trying to help you, you know what you should do? Say yes because you get in the way of them being a blessing. I used to struggle with that all the time. Like it's a, hey, I'll get, I'll get the tea this time. No, 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 I've got it, I've got it. This is, you know, this is what I do. It's okay. No, 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 I want to be a blessing. Receive. 
Like, I'm not good enough to receive? Really? Right? But a lot of times I think we think that way. But I just love that first half of 11 in Proverbs 11. is that by the blessed of an upright, the city will be exalted. So here you go. Spiritual multiplication, by the way. I'm going to turn this from finances and thankfulness and commitment to talk about multiplication for just a minute. Spiritual multiplication is how Christianity perpetuates itself. For over 2,000 years, it has perpetuated itself, meaning it has grown from within and, and gotten bigger as it, it makes its way throughout history. Here's the thing about multiplication for you math students in the room, right? You cannot multiply by zero or one, right? When you multiply one, what do you get? Whatever you multiplied it by. When you multiply zero, you get what? Zero. Zero gets you nowhere, and one just gets you yourself. But yet, I would say that we have a call and a command to multiply ourselves as a church, as individuals, as followers of God, and we do that by being a blessing. And so that means that there has to be more than one Christian saying yes, right? It means there has to be more than one church saying yes. I will be a blessing. That's how Christianity perpetuates itself. Now, think, let's read 11, 11 again, the first half of A again. By the blessing of the upright, a city is exalted. You know how that happens? By more than one person saying yes. I will be a blessing. So in the back end of everything that we've talked about this morning already, you don't work for money, say, because it flies away, right? And actually, our wealth is not determined by what we have. It's how we love and who we have in our life. And then now Solomon, earlier on in Proverbs, is saying, actually, no, you bless because that's how a city gets lifted. You know, there was an observation this morning on the way into, in, in the church this morning. Do you know what they call, you know what Arlington calls itself? The Dream City. Do you know that? That's his tag name. We're all laughing, so you know where I'm going, right? Like, literally, it's under its sign. It says, Welcome to Arlington, the Dream City. How much are you willing to bet that some people don't look at Arlington as the Dream City? Now, if you think that's true, then how much are you willing to bet that that might be tied to how people treat one another in this city? And then I ask you again, spiritual multiplication happens when more than one person says yes. Spiritual multiplication happens more than one says yes. So here's what this looks like for you before we move on to truth three. Don't withhold or bury your talents, your time, or your treasure. Because if you're familiar with that parable, Jesus, the, Jesus was telling a story about this uh, someone, a master giving talents to his servants, to his workers, and the guy who messed it up was the guy who took what he was given and buried it in a field, right? Because it never multiplied. And he's like, actually, you know, some guy lost money or only did a little bit, right? They only multiplied it a little bit. But the guy who wanted to hold on to everything says, hold on, I don't have enough and I want more. Let me hold on to what I got because I want to be protective because I'm not sure if I could trust who God is. Even though he is Jira, right? He was rebuked. Because that's not what you and I are supposed to do. We've been giving talents or skills. We have all the time in the world, the same amount, by the way. No matter what your bank account says, we have 24 hours in a day, seven days a week. And we're supposed to give of that. And then, of course, we have the treasure where it's all different depending on how, what it looks like and how, what God's doing in your life. It takes all of us to make a difference, right? It takes all of us to make a difference, which leads us to truth number three, the last truth this morning. Almost done. 
says we don't withhold, right? We look at God as provider. We don't withhold. Truth number three, this is what biblical contentment is. It's not I don't have enough and I need more. Biblical contentment from a thankfulness standpoint is being thankful for not getting what you and I deserve. Now, there you go. And you're like, okay, well, that doesn't sound like contentment at all. But here's the deal. Paul writes in Romans that all of humanity, early on in Romans, that we've all fallen short of God's standard, right? He writes about that. God's standard of righteousness is perfection, right? American standards of righteousness is typically I'm better than okay. Like there's some kind of middle ground. You know, that's why there are C's in school, right? It's like, well, I didn't flunk. I didn't excel. I'm somewhere in between, right? Am I better than the next person, right? Or we were laughing about this the other day. Like, am I better than the next person? Then I'm okay, right? I'm, or I just have to outrun that person in case of a bear attack, right? I mean, that's the thing, right? American standards, I'm better than the person next to me. But God, who is Jira, instead of demanding payment from you and from me, as we fail to meet his standard, we owe the bill, sends his son to earth in the form of a baby instead. Right? Thankfulness and contentment biblically is being thankful for not what we have, not what we want, not what we think we need. It's being thankful that I could stand before God because of Jesus Christ. Period. Period. I'm going to read you Luke chapter 2. Since it's Advent season, I just want you to hear this this morning. I love chapter 2 starting in verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled with fear. Imagine they felt a lot like how Abraham felt. And Isaac, certainly, right? Probably fearful. And verse 10 says, The angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Contentment. I bring you contentment of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was an angel with a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, verse 14, glory to God in the highest. Remember I said he's the highest of all things. Glory to God the provider, and on earth peace among those who with whom he is pleased. I love that. So what I love about Thanksgiving leading into Christmas is that God's glory is put on display in such a magnificent way that everything stops. It doesn't matter how many shopping emails you get. It doesn't matter how many lines you stand in. It doesn't matter how many fights you have with Uncle John over politics at Thanksgiving when it gets super awkward with everybody else at the table, right? It doesn't matter about any of that. What matters is that you and I get to celebrate God sending his greatest gift to you and to me in the form of a baby so that I don't have to earn my way to him. Do you know what pleased means? With whom he is pleased, to all people with whom he is pleased, God is pleased in the death of Jesus instead of our deaths and our ability to work our way to him. So that thing, you know, if you're living your life in such a way where you're, it's a, I don't have enough and I need more, that will never, ever, 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 ever please you. Because Solomon, who had all the toys, said, it's actually not about wealth. It's about how you love and the relationships that you have. 
So I think the band's going to come back up as we wrap up. This season puts on display God's glory in Jesus. That's what thankfulness and contentment is. That's what thankfulness and contentment is. So for you, I think a next step for any of us that might catch themselves in the trap of, gosh, I've got to buy all the Christmas lists and I'm worried about all the things. Like, why don't you start each day being thankful for who Jesus is and what he's done for you? What if we start our day there, right? Instead of allowing the world and the rat race and all the things to shatter our, our world, right, and shatter our concentration, actually focus on him because that's who it is. Okay? So one last thing is I want you to think of Jesus in the manger. We just read about it. You've got Jesus. We sing about it in the song. We The cradle in the dirt, in the barn, in swallow, you know, in filth. We've got this perfect God-man in the form of a baby who will grow up and go to the cross instead, instead of, in place of us, the wise men and the shepherds. And I just want to read you this traditional blessing over us. It's number 6, 24 through 26, and the band's going to sing. I'm going to pray, and the band's going to sing. Number 6. Right here. 24 through 26. So this is my heart. This is, I think, our church's heart for you this season. You're going to, you're going to hear it because you're like, oh, I've heard this before. It was written a very, very, very long time ago. But it says this. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. That sounds good, right? So in Jesus, he has blessed us and kept us. In Jesus, he has shined his face upon us and is gracious to us. And in Jesus, he has granted us peace. Let it be so this Advent season. Lord, as we come and we sing and respond, I pray, um, one, that you would continue to help me walk away from how the world would look at thankfulness and contentment. Because in you, Jesus, in you, God, as provider, I have enough, and there is nothing else to attain spiritually. That sounds good. So, Lord, let us sing of that as we sing this song. Lord, if there's something that someone's carrying right now, I pray, Lord, that you would speak as the provider into that circumstance. And I would ask that you would ask all of us to be willing to submit to whether you do that thing or not that you have a better plan and a better purpose. So, driver, as we sing, may you be glorified and may you be honored. It's in your name.